This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver. With me, as always... Stephen White. Hey, Stephen. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I'm doing all right. I tell you what, I am ready for the draft. I am ready for the draft to begin and also to be over with, to be quite honest. (laughs) Yeah, you know, right around this time every year, uh, all of the hot takes and all the rumors start flying fast and furious. And, you know, we've been working on this stuff for months now. So it's like... Man, just get it over with. You know, it's only so many mock drafts somebody can do, you know. And, and finally, most of them, well, pretty much all of them are going to be wrong anyway. Yeah. So just let's get it over with. Let's get to actual football, which is a ways off now, and, and see which of these guys are really good and, and which of them aren't. But yeah. yeah, this this a week out from the draft, I think everybody's just like, screw it, man. I'm tired of this shit. <laughs> Well, and at least after the draft, like you get like, oh, hey, I think, you know, like this guy's an interesting fit with this team because X, Y, Z, you know, and you, I mean, it's, it's a little bit more something actually kind of tangible to talk about as opposed to just sort of like speculating about it or, or guessing, you know, trying to make a guess at shit like that. Right. Cause there's literally, literally no way to know, Mm-mm. uh, how the draft is going to shake out. Some years you do know who the number one pick is going to be uh, before the draft, you know, especially in years past before uh, the rookie cap, because they would negotiate with the mm-hmm. first pick before the draft came around. But now it's like, you know, with the rookie cap and stuff, you might not even know who the number one pick is. And if you can't guess like the first three picks, right, your whole fucking draft is fucked up, right? <laughs> your mock draft looks real cute. Until all of a sudden, somebody at number three takes another guy, and then that's a trickle-down effect, and that's why it's almost impossible to get it right. There's so many moving parts. People are going to try to trade up. Some are going to try to trade back. And and like you said, once it's all said and done, that's when you can actually really look and say, okay, well, this team did draft this guy. Let's see if there's a fit there. Let's see if this guy is going to be able to make a contribution now or in the future, but for right now, well, you, you don't have any way of knowing where any of these guys are going. It's all just, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna say that, but it, it's basically, <laughs> uh, you know, no payoff in it. it. It's just, you know, you just sitting around passing the time, bored almost. Yeah, yeah, and and I suspect too. I mean, that's a good point about trades. It's like I suspect just based on the volume of talk we've kind of 
heard about all this. Like I, I can't believe that we've had the we've seen the last of the big first round trades. You know, whether ahead of the draft or come Thursday night. I mean, I just it just seems like there's probably quite a few more of those to 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 come yet. Especially since there's like you know five maybe six depending on how you look at it quarterbacks that people sort of have ticketed for the first round. Right. And somebody's always going to throw you a curveball, right? Yeah. Um, maybe it's a guy you know, having a tape of him smoking with a gas mask on <laughs> right as the draft starts. You just never know. There's always some crazy shit that happens uh, right around either before the draft or during the draft that just throws everything off. If one of those teams that still haven't moved up in the top 10 but need a quarterback see an opening, then, you know, they're most assuredly they're going to do what they can to try to get up there and grab one of those guys. Mm-hmm. If one of these guys starts sliding a little bit, you know, more teams that maybe didn't think they had a, ch- a chance uh, for one of those big four uh, uh, quarterbacks coming out this year, maybe they say, hey, you know, let, let's take a shot. Let's go ahead and call this team up and see if we can move up a little bit. So, and that's why I say you just never know, man. <laughs> one pick, literally one pick can fuck up your whole mock draft. Yeah. And, and more than likely it will come next Thursday. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just it, – it, and it's all so many moving parts and shit. There, there might be veteran players that still get traded before or during mm-hmm. the draft. So you, you just don't know. It is, I mean, it's fun to speculate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to piss on anybody's parade. But <laughs> ultimately, none of this is going to mean shit after next weekend. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, somebody could decide to call the Eagles and say, we will trade you a pair of first-round picks for Nick Foles, and and who knows what happens after that. Yeah, but I don't think the Browns are going to do that this year. I mean, they're probably the only dumbass club that might do that. What about, like, and I don't know, like, if this is, I mean, I'm sure, like you say, this is sort of, I mean, to put it politely, as we call it here, lying season in the NFL, but, like, this thing that's out today about, like, could the Browns take two quarterbacks with the first and fourth pick? <laughs> I mean, it seems crazy, and, like, I know it's not going to happen, but at this, there's part of me that's like, yeah, hell yeah, why not? Do it, it's man. It's hard <laughs> to say that something's out of the realm of possibility when it comes to the Browns. So, really you know, you can't just, like, write off a rumor when it's them. If it was any other team, you're like, yeah, nah. <laughs> but since it's the Browns, you're like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's totally plausible. They get Josh Allen at number one, and you know, some other guy at number four. It'd be that would be pretty classic Browns maneuvering, right? I mean, really, with two first round picks and two second round picks, somebody else said this today. Hell, go cosmic, man! Pick four quarterbacks with your first four picks. Get crazy. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> just you know. Let's run a four quarterback offense. Fuck it, everybody got a chance to throw the ball. We like the Harlem Globe Trotters. You just keep, you know, tossing the ball around, and then finally, when everybody's tired, you throw it down the field. Fuck it. I mean, they say they're looking for innovation in the NFL. Yeah. Why not? I mean, really, think about it. You give Darnold's your quarterback, Josh Allen's your tight end, Bill Poland's fantasy comes true, and Lamar Jackson's your wide receiver, and then shit, you draft Mayfield, make put him at running back or something. <laughs> I mean, right, and, and the beauty of it, they all change positions every yeah. play. So, yeah. you know, Mayfield might be the H-back one play. Lamar Jackson might be the halfback. He might be the quarterback. When you got Josh Allen, 
playing tight end. I it's, mean, look, there's endless possibilities. I think you might be on on to something. It's backyard football, man. <laughs> I mean, this is this is your Thanksgiving family Thanksgiving Day football game, just come to life right here. <laughs> why not? I mean, really, why the fuck not? I mean, that's the th- it makes as much sense as just about any other dumb thing you're hearing about the draft this time of year. You know what I mean? Right. I, I saw something yesterday about uh, Saquon Barkley is trying to pull a Eli Manning, and I'm like. Listen, man, mm. <laughs> you're a fucking running back, okay? Yeah. You, especially in this day and age in the NFL, you don't have that kind of pull anymore where you can try <laughs> to pick and choose where you go. You just go and try to do the best you can so you can get to that second contract. Yeah. But you, you are a uh, uh, running back. I don't care how good you are. I mean, the, the position just isn't valued that way anymore no. where you can pick and choose. Say, I'm too good for the Browns. She is. You better get in there get that Browns money or that Giants money or whoever that top – three or four pick money, because it's a hell of a lot better than the back end, number 15, <laughs> number 20 pick uh, money. I can, I can promise you that much. So yeah. I, I don't really think that he's doing it, but it, it, it's kind of funny. Like I said, you know, these last week or so before the draft, man, all kind of fucking rumors come out. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is, I think, is uh, different agents trying to, you know, knock other, other people's clients too. So... You just never know who is putting this stuff out there, what their motivations are. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, you might as well just stick your head in the sand for a week, man. Go to the beach. Go for a walk. Go to the library and read yeah. a couple books. Because <laughs> right now, you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to keep up with all the damn rumors and, and possibilities before the draft. Yeah. And, like, and, and too, it's like nobody – it's amazing to me as many years as this has been happening or we've been doing this at this level and, like – People never really consider the sources like, oh, the guy that gets paid to train these quarterbacks is telling uh, Adam Schefter that these two quarterbacks are the best he's ever seen in years and they're ready to be day one elite NFL quarterbacks. It's like, oh, that's amazing that somebody that got paid to train these guys would think that. (laughs) Right. I mean, obviously he's unbiased. You know, he's just speaking from his heart. If you can't trust him, he's wallet. But yeah, I mean, and that's if you even find out who the source is. Most of the time, it's some unnamed yeah. source, people close to that guy, or and people in this guy's inner circle, and we don't even know what the hell that means most of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A friend, I, that was one of my favorite draft rumors so far this season. Has to be the I, I don't remember who brought it up. Doesn't matter who brought it up, but like it was a friend of John Dorsey. <laughs> Right. I mean, come on now. <laughs> a guy in my bowling league that's on the team that sits next to me at the aisle says, it's just, you know. But if you do want rational draft stuff, if you do want to read about the draft, we have sensible draft. There is, and not just us. I mean, obviously, I have a bias for the stuff that we publish. But, you know, you can read about why Harrison Phillips is, say, a good nose tackle, maybe not so much of a pass rusher and that sort of thing. You know what I mean? We have that available to you. Right. <laughs> you know, you, you can sign up with the people with the shiny suits trying to be in the videos. That's right. Or you can come to death row where we just talk football. We don't care <laughs> about all right. these ridiculous rumors and shit. That's right. <laughs> Hell, we don't even have much video to speak of anymore. So. Right, that either. <laughs> Thank you, Facebook. Oh, 
But so I, I did. So going through that, uh, the Harrison Phillips thing, that's a, you know, that's interesting because that's a point we've talked about. You know, you've talked about in the stuff you write here, whether it's Haas or draft breakdowns or stuff too. But I thought that was interesting with Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle from Stanford, you know, fits that, you know, a really good nose tackle, very valuable position, little different from, you know, maybe we should why that's not so much a fir- a guy that you really would consider a first round pick. Right. Well, and, and you look at it like this, if this is a, a passing league, then you need pass rushers and they are the priority. A guy who's only going to play on early downs and play against the run. You have to have them because mm-hmm. obviously you have to stop the run to get to the pass most of the time. But you know, there's a limited, uh, uh, value to that guy if he has to come out when it's a passing down. Yeah. And Harrison Phillips is, Phillips is a guy who could get some pressure on early downs when he catches somebody slipping on play action pass or something like that. He's pretty quick, but he's not a guy you're going to line up out there on third and long. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, that doesn't mean he's not going to be a good player. That's just a value thing. So for me, you know, I always say uh, I wouldn't take a guy that's going to play two downs or early downs mm-hmm. in the first round. I just don't see the same value in them. And also the guys who I take in the first round who are supposed to be pass rushers who end up not being able to pass rush, I can always use them <laughs> as the early down guy. Yeah. Right? So, uh, you know, I, I felt that way uh, about the kid. I, I think he was out of uh, Baylor that ended up going to – the Bengals. I can't remember his name right now. Andrew something. Andrew Billings. Yeah. Uh, I felt the same way about him. The same way about uh, the nose tackle the Browns took a, a few years back. He's he's with the Patriots Sheldon. now. Sheldon. And if you look, I mean, I, I mean, those guys are going to do a good job for their team. I, I really like Shelton uh, up with the Patriots now. I think mm-hmm. that Bill Belichick will really be able to get the best out of him as a true nose tackle, but those aren't valuable guys. You're not going to see those guys breaking the bank usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I remember last year we thought that um, the nose tackle from the Chiefs uh, went, uh, was going to get paid. Poe. And he went on to uh, who? Poe. Poe, Terry yeah. Poe. He goes to the Falcons on a one-year deal. You know? Yeah. And, 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 and so those guys, man, those aren't – the big money guys, those aren't guys that the, the NFL teams look at mm-hmm. as valuable players. Uh, Hankins with the Colts, for instance, yeah. he signed a big deal to play in a 3-4, but now that they're going to a 4-3 and he can't really rush the passer like that, they didn't see that he was the same kind of value as he was in a 3-4 system where he could play the run on, on, on early down. So, yeah. uh, you know, this is a value thing for me, but I really think – uh, Harrison Phillips is a quality player. He's strong as hell yeah. in his upper body. I, I didn't mention this in the piece, but he was on the ground quite a bit. So it was almost, <laughs> I was almost thinking that he was on their prison swole pro- uh, program. <laughs> bench press only. I mean, he had 42 reps of 225 <laughs> at the combine, but I'm not sure. He probably could uh, bench more than he can squat. And that's usually not a good thing, but I mean, upper body. I mean, that dude can bench press anybody and, and get them out of the way and make plays in the run game. So I think, uh, you know, he'll have to wait until after that first night to hear his name called. Yeah. But I think that he'll be a quality player for whatever team selects him. Yeah. Prison and that's really swole. like my, my breakdowns 
aren't so much about where a guy's going to get drafted yeah. anyway. Because, again, I don't know. I think I have a, a, a feeling of where I would take them. Yeah. But I'm not sure where they, where they would end up ultimately being drafted. But what I want is three years down the road, three years down the road, you come back and look at that breakdown – and you'll see the player that I've kind of projected in the breakdown. He's, here's all the things I think he'll be able to do well in the league. Here, mm-hmm. here are the things I think he's going to struggle with in the league. And hopefully that, you know, it, it, that kind of comes to pass, so to speak, in year three or so of that guy's career. I, mm-hmm. You know, I don't really care about where they get drafted, but, you know, I do care if I say a guy's going to be this good and he turns out to flop. Or if yeah. I say a guy's not going to be that good and he turns out to be excellent. That's what I care about. I don't care about the, well, you said he was going in the first round. I said, I would take him in the first <laughs> round. I can't help these dummies in do it. <laughs> ah, good old Twitter. <laughs> Who? Out, so, like, out of all the players you've looked at, I, I want to go, you know, kind of focus on the defensive lineman. To start with, who's really stood out to you? Or maybe who, who's kind of surprised you, maybe, from the bunch that you've looked at so far? Well, uh, somebody kind of asked me a similar question on Twitter earlier today. Mm-hmm. And, and the guy who was most fun to break down was Vita Vea, mm-hmm. uh, defensive tackle from Washington. And that's just because, I mean, like, he would be tossing dudes out the way in a way that almost looked like uh, uh, it wasn't real. Yeah. It looked like a cartoon caricature of a football player just running over people. But he was actually doing it. Yeah. So I would like rewind the play and just be like, damn, he really just threw that dude, you know, with one <laughs> arm, just picked him up and tossed him out of the way and made a play. Um, but as far as uh, kind of guys who really intrigued me, uh, the Davenport kid out of uh, UT San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, it, it's funny, like every year when I break guys down, there's kind of this feeling about him right around that time. And sometimes I'm with the consensus and sometimes I'm not. Mm-hmm. But every so often when it gets closer to the draft, you'll see some other people kind of coming my way on a guy when I disagree. And when I wrote uh, Davenport's uh, breakdown, mm-hmm. there was this this consensus that he was raw. Yeah. And I even put it in my, my piece about um, Mike Mayock saying that he was more raw than Clowney, which was a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. And I saw where it came from. I went back and, and I saw that <clears throat> just so happened Mike Mayock was covering the Senior Bowl uh, practices. Mm-hmm. And this kid Davenport was doing a lot of power rushes in practice. Well, power rushes don't really look good unless you actually do them in the game. Yeah. Because what you're doing is you're muscling up a 300-pound guy and pushing him back towards the quarterback but there's no actual quarterback so people can see the payoff. So it looks like you're just kind of running down the middle of them yeah. unless there's a quarterback there. And so during the week, Mike Mayock was, was making it seem like some of these pass rush moves, the same moves he had been using in the game all season and had been productive with, mm. weren't good until it got to the game. And then he got to the game, used the same kind of moves, but now it's a quarterback there so you can see the sack. Yeah. Right? And so, but from that point on, Mike Mayock started saying he was raw. And so you heard other people saying he was raw. And I'm watching this film like, I don't know what the fuck they're watching. But they couldn't be watching this film because he is the furthest thing from raw. The only thing he needs to work on is his get-off. And that's, I think, a product of him playing uh, 
in a two-point stance instead of a three-point stance so much. Mm-hmm. He stood up a lot uh, as an outside rush linebacker, and so he didn't really have that, uh, you know, that, that hair trigger get off like a bunch of guys who play with the dirt in the ground a lot. Mm-hmm. But other than that, and shit, he got plenty of speed to burn, so he'll be able to learn that pretty fast. Yeah, He is excellent with his hands. And I think, you know, you're starting to see people appreciate uh, his way of pass rushing a little bit more now as you get closer to the draft. And I think that kid is going to be special for somebody. The other guy is Anthony Miller, mm-hmm. uh, the wide receiver out of Memphis. Now, um, I don't usually look and see where people have him, you know, any prospect rated. Yeah. I try to get a sense of who are the top guys out there and then make my own uh, evaluation of, of, you know, who's better than whom. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Anthony Miller kid, man, in the four games that I broke down, showed me a lot. And yeah. really, he was the only guy that I broke down that had that it factor. They just looked like a playmaker type dude. He ran all kind of routes, ran from outside to inside, got good size. He can play on the outside or the inside, real good quickness. But the thing that really stood out to me, and it was two things actually, was Mm -hmm. one, he went up and attacked the football. He went up and got it and made a lot of contested catches over people. So he has real good hands. But he also has real good acceleration. And that's a difference from just straight line speed. A lot of guys can run fast on a four-yard dash, but you don't really see that acceleration after they catch the ball. Yeah. With Anthony Miller, I saw him just explode at times after he got the football in his hands. So here, here's a guy that can be a deep threat for you because he can go up and make some of those uh, uh, catches on 50-50 balls. Yeah. But he also can take a short, you know, little slant route, take off, and, and, and give you give you a big playoff of that too. So. Um, those are guys, it turns out, Anthony Miller, don't, not a lot of people have him rated as a first-round pick, but I think he may end up being the best wide receiver in this class if yeah. he goes to, into the right situation. So those two guys, maybe because they didn't seem to be or, or aren't rated as high by some people as they are by me, I'm really curious to see how their, their careers end up working out. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I was looking at Miller's numbers the other day because I was talking with Bill Connolly, who has been mostly a college football writer for us, but is starting to get into some NFL stuff and has done some prediction pieces around statistics with the draft. And like, you know, it's really interesting because people don't, especially in the NFL prospect evaluation, you know, industrial complex on TV that you see so much as, you know, what was the famous Kuiper quote, stats are for losers. But you look at these guys and they produce and there's, you know, there's generally a correlation between if you can produce in college, you can produce in, in the pros. And and this the Miller stats are really interesting to me because, I mean, he's got those big, you know, 224 yards against UConn, 185 yards and two touchdowns against UCLA. I mean, just like consistently big ass games like that, you know, two 1400 yard plus seasons his last two years at Memphis. 18 touchdowns last year, 14 touchdowns a year before that. And just like, this is sort of that classic eyeball test guy that you, <laughs> the receiver, the productive receivers, college's most productive receivers, I swear to God, they're all in Spencer will go to town on this theory. But it's, uh, it's you those guys from those smaller schools like that, not Alabama, not, you know, the the Florida State kind of places, but 
you know, those Memphis and Kansas and Kansas State and places like that. Those are the guys. They produce big numbers. <laughs> or where'd Le'Veon Bell, not Le'Veon Bell, but uh, Antonio Brown go, uh, Michigan, Central Michigan or something like that. Some Mac school. Those are the guys. Nine times out of ten, man, they always end up being big time in the NFL. So, I mean, that's not, that is not hashtag analysis, but that's just my two cents on it. <laughs> but, I mean, that's still impressive. I mean, you know, damn near 3,000 yards in two seasons. I mean, wherever you're playing, that's a shitload of production. <laughs> right. And, and, I mean, you know, he was burning the shit out of guys. Like, he was, a lot of times, when he didn't have those big games, Yeah, he was open. <laughs> yeah. He was open. The quarterback just maybe didn't throw him the ball or maybe didn't throw him a good ball or what have you. But if you threw it in his vicinity, that kid would go and get it. Yeah. And, and like I said, I mean, with Calvin Ridley, for instance, um, you know, I made note of the fact that it seemed like he had a little bit of trouble with contested catches. Yeah. And, you know, but his quarterback was so inaccurate at times that you couldn't, really, like, he would beat a guy deep, but the quarterback would be off, so he didn't even have a chance to make the play on the ball. And so I didn't really get to see sometimes what he would have done with it had the passes gotten where they were supposed to go. But with uh, Anthony Miller, man, he had the acceleration He's not quite the route runner that uh, Ridley is, yeah. but he's very physical when he runs his route. Like, he, he kind of almost reminds you of Steve Smith, Steve Smith running routes because if you try to press him, he's going to press you. Yeah. He, he, he's going to get up in your face <laughs> and push you all around the place, and then next thing you know, he's done, you know, uh, chopped the, the route off at 10 yards, and you still floating downfield. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's another thing I liked about him was that he wasn't a, a finesse guy either. You know, he, he he's a guy. He, he's not that big. He, I think he's like six feet tall. Yeah. But, man, that dude played physical as hell. Almost every time at the end of uh, one of his receptions, he's either dragging somebody or he's looking for somebody to run into for a couple more yards. Yeah. So, when you got a guy like that, man, he, he just – you know, he seems like a special talent. Yeah. And then he actually has, like you said, the production to go along with it. It's not like you have to, uh, you know, make these guesses while well, I think you would have made that yeah. catch if his quarterback was a little bit better. No, I'm seeing him do the things that I thought really might be able to do with a better quarterback or something like that. Yeah. And I'm seeing him do things that really didn't do, and that's make those contested catches. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know people love Ridley – and I did see a lot of good good things that I liked that are really right. on the film, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Anthony Miller has the better career because that that kid is just like I said, he jumped off the tape at me. He has yeah. that hit factor, in my opinion. I I love receivers like that too. That just like that play with a little bit of a nasty edge to them. I mean, it's it's not a position where you you really think about that a lot with guys, but it's just, it's just why. It's, I mean, it's why you watch Steve, Steve Smith games. I mean, those are just like, I mean, the guy's fun as hell to watch week after week, not just because he plays, you know, he makes catches and makes plays, but he's also, you know, he's kind of nasty to play against. And that's fun. I mean, that's, you know. Uh, and that's funny, too. You mentioned Steve Smith because I just looked it up, and you'll never guess who Steve Smith compared Anthony Miller to. That's right, Steve Smith. <laughs> 
I didn't know that. I promise I didn't know that. When, when did you do that? It was back in March. He said, it's against my personal code to compare a prospect to the ultra-rare number 89, but it's hard not to trust the sword. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it just I actually, it just came into my head, actually. I, I didn't think about that or how to put it in the actual breakdown, but I was just thinking about, it was one route in particular, man. It was like a 10-yard a stop route. Uh -huh. And a guy tried to press him. And I just can't remember him basically just, I mean, he was he was beating the dude up the whole way down the field. Normally, it's the DB mm -hmm. that's trying to beat up the wide receiver down the field. But, I mean, like, Anthony Miller is just putting them hands on him. Then all of a sudden, he stops and comes back and makes the catch. And it's a contested catch. But, I mean, like, the dude was trying to be all over him, and he was having none of it. And I was like, that's the kind of routes Steve Smith used to run. Yeah. And so just to hear Steve Smith have the same opinion, <laughs> I mean, that, that's a big deal because – you know Steve Smith isn't throwing that around too lightly. Yeah. He's not comparing too many dudes to himself. No, not Steve Smith. <laughs> I will never forget. This is totally an aside, but it's one of my favorite Steve Smith stories. He was playing. It was Janoris Jenkins' first year in the league with the Rams. So I think 2012, 2013, I don't remember which. But they were squared off against each other. And, man, I'll be damned if Steve Smith hadn't Googled a bunch of shit about Janoris Jenkins. <laughs> And I went mean, out there and talking shit with him and just talking about, yeah, I Googled it before the game. <laughs> hey, man, that's what they made Google for. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I think those are always the most kind of the fun prospects. And, you know, you don't really get to see it until the games actually start counting in September. Which, uh, you know, I guess we've got a two-hour show tonight on TV to remind us that the games will actually start counting in September. It's the uh, the annual schedule release show. I know, uh, I know that's definitely some appointment television for folks out there. People are so starved for football, and that's why everybody says that football design is full of shit. People yeah. are going to be just tuned in, locked in to that show today. Yeah. I'm seeing a bunch of people that are very excited about a schedule release. Have you ever seen anybody excited over a baseball <laughs> schedule release? The only thing people care about with a basketball schedule release is the the, the holiday game. Yeah. But, I mean, it's people, you know, it's Browns fans. <laughs> it, 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 it's people that are fans of very bad teams that are excited to see who they're playing today. I, I mean, I'm telling you, top post on the network today schedule release rumors and leaks <laughs> football just... is king i don't give a damn what nobody <laughs> say football is king yeah and, and ain't nothing gonna stop it absolutely although i was kind of mad i saw this i i thought for sure and i know this is just my own i, I know it's media bias and i'm sure <laughs> fans love media bias but i I'm still kind of pissed off that they keep insisting on doing those 9.30 a.m. games for those London. <laughs> right. I don't really see a way around it, but yeah. No, that, that no. obviously sucks for us. It does. It does. Because, man, I tell you what, that is a long-ass day when your game starts at 9.30 Eastern time and Sunday night football gets over at midnight. <laughs> and again, I mean, that sounds really shitty to complain about having to watch football all day. I know, but 
<laughs> Woe is me. Woe is me. <laughs> <laughs> but then the games, like, at least those games don't look bad. I mean, like, that Jaguars, uh, oh, shit, who did it? Jaguars-Eagles game, I mean, that ought to be a pretty good game. Those two pretty good teams. Right. It used to be, yeah. that, you know, they could send the Jags over there against anybody, and they figured the other team would just beat the hell out of the Jags. Yeah. And that's all that, you know, they figured people over there wanted to see. Just, you know, one team dominate the other, yeah. you have fun, all that shit. But they're actually going to get good games now because the Jags are pretty good. Yeah. And obviously so are the reigning Super Bowl champion Eagles. So yeah. that might be. Now, here's the thing, though. Those games always end up being wacky, even when they're yeah. good teams. So <laughs> let me slow slow down, pump the brakes a little bit. It still may suck, but at least I think it'll be two good teams this year playing yeah. in that game, even yeah. if it's not a very good yeah. game itself. I feel bad for the West Coast. There's like that's the only game out of the three London games that doesn't have a West Coast team. I feel <laughs> going to the West Coast, being a West Coast team, and then starting a kicking off. Imagine that the noon kickoff for a West Coast team is bad enough. And to go to the West a West Coast team, a 9.30 a.m. Eastern time kickoff. <laughs> That's why God made the DVR. I mean, ain't no way. Ain't, I love football, but look. I know. It better, it better be the Super Bowl if you want me to wake up that early. Yeah. 6.30? Come on. <laughs> I, you know, really, like, the West Coast, like, the, if you could – the West Coast time zone for this is like the best way to do it. Cause then like Sunday night football gets over and you've got two hours of daylight left to kick it, you know, <laughs> but you know, that's uh that's the way it is. And now we've got three days of draft coming up, uh, at the first round and, and Friday and then Saturday and then a full day of undrafted free agent fun. It ought to be a, Ought to be a hoot, and uh, we'll have lots of coverage for you there. Um, man, I really, I, I've been so adamant about not following every blasted little draft rumor. I have tuned out a lot of the crazy stuff that gets uh, that gets said about the prospects. But, I, you know, one thing that popped up today, not draft-related, that I did find funny was I think USA Today did it was a survey of agents like the hardest teams and the hardest execs to deal with (laughs) Washington at the top of both lists surprisingly enough say what now say (laughs) what was this well USA Today surveyed agents and like who are the best and worst teams to deal with and the best and worst general managers or you know execs to deal with Bruce Allen top of the list for the worst execs to deal with Worst teams to deal with, Washington, Cincinnati, and the Browns before Dorsey was the general manager. Hmm. Shit, I wonder what they mean by that now. I guess they're just talking about free agents now because with the rookie scale, you don't even really need to negotiate anything, but... Hmm. Yeah, it was it, yeah, it was kind of focused on like, you know, which teams, you know, are they prepared to deal with and like are they, you know, I mean because the perception of course is and... the perception of course is that Washington just throws money at guys. Yeah. To give them a sign. So that that's why I'm a little bit kind of curious about that one. Yeah, you know, I can see it being some of the cheaper teams like the Bengals of course, they never well, really yeah. want to pay anybody, but <laughs> yeah. you know, Washington has this reputation for just, you know, burning money basically. So I, I find that a little bit interesting that they don't really like dealing with them still. Oh, wait, okay. 
Yeah, Washington was the one to deal with Washington. Uh, the 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 general manager, sir, the executive survey, general managers and the other you know execs were trusted. And now this won't surprise you. Bruce Allen from Washington, the least trusted. <laughs> now that I can see. <laughs> that I could definitely But I see. am still surprised, like you said, about the teams themselves, though. Right. But, you know, maybe they're kind of viewing it through the same lens. Maybe it's hard to separate dealing with yeah. Bruce Allen from dealing with Washington. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I can see why people <laughs> find him very trustworthy. <laughs> so. Uh, so that's a good one. I, I can't believe. I'll tell you what. The we talk about bad draft takes, but the dumbest story of the week, really, maybe the whole freaking month of April, to be quite honest with you. And that you know, that takes some dumbing to be that dumb, but. That Tom Brady thing yesterday. Tom Brady's still undecided. Still hasn't said whether or not he'll play in 2018. Well, no, but he is under contract, and he hasn't said he won't play in 2018, but I guess you got to have something to talk about on April 18th. Right. If you're not a draft guy, <laughs> if you don't really you know, talk a lot about the draft, what else are you going to talk about right now except for just to completely make up a story? I, and I think it was that uh, Brady wasn't there for the start of yeah. the off-season training. But, I mean, it's fucking Tom Brady. Yeah. I think he'll manage. Yeah. So they just you know, <laughs> found a way to make – well, nobody said he's not playing, but nobody said he is playing either. I mean, come the fuck on. <laughs> but it, you know what? It did its job because everybody paid attention to that stupid-ass story. Yeah, of course, man. And, like, you know, with Schefter saying it, too, everyone's like, oh, well, instant credibility, you know? Just, like, the non-storiest story of the – the non-storiest month of the, of the NFL calendar. And, it, like, it feeds in with that – all that stuff you go back to where – I mean, I think people are sort of hungry for that. You know, because it feeds into that the tension between Belichick and Brady and all that stuff, and then that like you have the Amendola quotes when he signed with Miami, just about you know the Patriot stuff. But I, I was telling somebody the other day, like I would be surprised if his words were had been the same had he, you know, gotten a Super Bowl ring this year. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, well, some of them obviously were contingent on them losing that game because some of the stuff he was talking about was, uh, yeah, right. Butler getting uh, benched. And I said, then I said for Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick not to explain himself. And it turns out he didn't even explain himself to his own team. No. Was fucking cowardly. It was. I don't give a shit about this aura that he has, that he doesn't have to answer to anybody or he doesn't have to really answer anybody's question. When you make a move that big and it backfires on you and you lose the biggest fucking game of the year after this guy's been starting every single other game, you you need to answer to somebody about that. Like, you need to explain yourself. And you at least need to explain yourself to the team that fought and bled and, and sweated for you all year to get to that point, only to have you pull the rug underneath them without explaining why. Yeah. And, and and I I even said it then, you know. Obviously, you know, are we going to hear this if if they win a Super Bowl ring and he resigns with the Patriots? Obviously not. But I said then I I didn't think that that was going to sit well with Butler's teammates because even if like, if you're a guy on offense 
you don't know that the guy who just caught the touchdown wouldn't have been Butler's guy anyway. Yeah. You just know your secondary is all of a sudden getting torched, and a dude that you've seen out there all year is over here on the sidelines with you. Yeah. And so you know, the fact that it was an offensive player that came out and spoke on this doesn't surprise me at all, man. And I really feel like maybe not to us, the fans or the media or whatever, but to those guys that were on that team playing that day, Bill Belichick owed them an explanation. Yeah. And that he still hasn't given them one it is, is inexcusable. Yeah, it really. I mean, it's it's pretty astounding. And then, in in two, because it wasn't even just like there was the decision that game day. It was you had all the there were. I mean, hijinks that whole two week window between the conference championships and the Super Bowl. It was just you know with the illness, and he wasn't sick, and he was sick, but he wasn't really that sick. It wasn't anything that like you know like would normally prevent. It wasn't the kind of thing that would prevent a player from you know, not taking the field, maybe misses a practice or two, but not the kind of thing that like, you know, it's the flu and not to say the flu doesn't suck to have, but I mean, out of the grand scheme of things in football injuries, you could do worse than the flu. I look at it this way. If it had been something that would have made Belichick sympathetic to everybody else, it will leak by now. Mm-hmm. If it was something where Malcolm Butler was actually doing some of the shit that people tried to push as rumors after the fact about him, you know, partying or whatever, yeah. then that shit would have, like, it would have went through Adam Schefter. Yeah. And it would put it out there in a way that folks would have, by now, would have been like, oh, okay, well, that explains it. And they, they, nobody would be questioning Belichick anymore. Yeah. Especially dudes that just played in the Super Bowl for him. Yeah. So the fact that Amendola is still talking about it, the fact that there's been no leaking going on that would make it look like this made a lot of sense for uh, Belichick and the Patriots to, to bench Malcolm Butler for all but one play, one special teams play. That, that's the thing about it is it ain't like he didn't play at all. They literally put him in for a special teams play. Yeah. And that's it. One. So he was healthy enough for, for a meaningless special teams play, but not to play any on defense, not at all. You know, most people, there's a lot of dudes that don't start to get plenty of playing time, mm-hmm. right? You know, come in and sub sub a guy in. You can't even sub this guy in? Yeah. There's something fishy about that, man. And like I say, whatever it was, if it would have made Belichick look better, it would have been leaked by now. But there haven't been any leaks. <laughs> yeah. And you still got guys who played in that game for Belichick that are questioning why it happened. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the weirder moments we had, one of the weirder stories we've seen out there. And you know, I figure at some point it's gonna maybe more will come out about that now that they're in Tennessee, Butler's in Tennessee, and I don't know, I don't know. We'll see though. We will see. It's, uh, man, this draft weekend, I I do have one schedule issue with the draft, and this always happens every spring, but it always seems like the draft, there's always a couple other big events going on at the same time, and, like, it's, I'm, it's gonna be hard, because the Avengers movie comes out the weekend of the draft this year, so, I mean. (laughs) Yeah, that, that really does suck, doesn't it? I mean, I mean it, 
Look, man, if there's anything that could 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 cut into the NFL draft, it's Infinity Wars. Yeah. So I, I might have to make a business decision too. Uh, I know. I like I had a very serious con like dinner table conversation with the family the other day. It's like uh, <laughs> I got to be out of town, and if you guys feel like you can't wait and you have to see it, I understand. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they can stream it from the theater. Yeah, that's kind of what I said. FaceTime yeah, me. Sneak, yeah, got to sneak your phone in. <laughs> FaceTime me from Wakanda while you're there. <laughs> but yeah, that, and then like, this always happens every year, but like, it usually overlaps with jazz. And I'm old enough now that like, Jazz Fest isn't something I really can entertain going to anymore, but like, it's uh that's the the draft seems to overlap with the opening weekend of that every year too but now it's not so bad this year because i looked at the headliners and like the headliners for the opening weekend were like jimmy buffett and shit like that so it's like well even if i could entertain the fantasy of going to that i wouldn't really give two shits about going to see jimmy buffett so at least i could take the draft over that but right this is, I mean, this is the thing, though. This is schedule creep. It's it's Thursday night football in April, man. <laughs> oh, let's see. Well, I mean, I there was one other NFL really thing I did want to get your opinion on before we wrapped it up today. What did you see the Des Bryant stuff coming? Like the the, the fact that he from, was going to get cut. I did. Um... One of the guys who covers the Cowboys, uh, I follow. I trust him. Mm-hmm. And I could tell from the way he was re- reporting on it that this was a lot more serious than people were letting on. Mm-hmm. And I would see every day uh, people would tweet him, making it seem like it was uh, you know, a media-created controversy. Yeah. But it was two things that kind of stuck out to me. It was like, you know... And, and he kept pointing out was that this was started by uh, Stephen Jones. He was the one that started this whole thing saying that, you know, maybe not sure Dez was coming back. Maybe so we'll see in the future. Yeah. Never being definitive about whether Dez was going to be on the team this year. And he's a guy who's making decisions now for the Cowboys, not uh, Jerry. Yeah. You know, Jerry has the ultimate say, but basically he goes along with Stephen Jones now. Yeah. So um, the fact that Stephen Jones kept being noncommittal about it made me think something was up. I figured they were going to end up requesting a pay cut from him, and maybe he would say no, and they would yeah. cut him. But I think that they went kind of into this thing thinking they would do that, and then they decided that they didn't want to even give him the chance to take a pay cut. Because maybe they thought at first that they asked him for a pay cut, he would say no. Yeah. And then he would look like the bad guy. But, it, it, you know, if they give him a chance for a pay cut and he says yes, and they still don't want him, you know, now they look like the bad guy, even the worst bad guy. So um, especially, you know, that week of that meeting that he was supposed to have with Jerry Jones, it, it became obvious to me they wouldn't be having a meeting with the guy if they were going to keep him on the team. They'd just call him and be like, we're good to go. Yeah. There's no need for a fucking meeting if the guy's going to be on your team. Yeah. And really, there's no meet, need for a meeting if you want to take a pay cut. That's something you tell his agent to ask about. Yeah. So by the time it all happened, I under, I, I figured it would happen. And look, 
the thing of it is, and, 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 and this is not a black and white situation. A lot of people want to make it either all Dez's fault or all Dak's fault yeah. or all uh, uh, the, 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 the coach's fault. No, it's a combination of things. Dez Bryant is a guy, he's a physical wide receiver who's not the greatest route runner, although I'll point out that he had Derek fucking Dooley as a wide receivers coach the last couple of years. Derek Dooley <laughs> was the head coach at Tennessee for a while. And let me tell you, he fucking sucks. He definitely sucks as a head coach. I can't imagine he was that much better as a wide receiver coach considering I don't think he's ever coached wide receivers before. Yeah. Now he's the office coordinator at Missouri, and I can't wait to see how that works out. <laughs> but Dez, never having been like a polished route runner, he's a guy who gets open with physicality, and then he jumps up and makes those 50-50 ball catches. Well, Dak, for one, for whatever reason, didn't trust Dez enough to throw him a lot of those 50-50 balls. And even when he did, he was inaccurate a lot of times. So you will see I, I, there was one play last year where Dez jumped so high, like his knees was at the other guy's helmet, and he still couldn't catch it. <laughs> That's how far off the mark Dak's pass was. So, you know, if you – now Dak is good on, on other throws, timing stuff, stuff of that nature. Some of the shorter throws he's real good at, has really good poise, but he's not a guy like a Tony Romo who can just throw that uh, 50-50 ball and give Dez just enough of a chance to be able to jump up and make the catch over people. Mm -hmm. So it was a bad fit. You know, maybe Dak would have come along with those kind of throws, but I don't know that he would have. And there already seemed to be some tension between he and Dez at the end of the season. So you got a good young quarterback who you got for cheap. Remember, he wasn't even a first-round pick. That's right. Dak wasn't. So you feel like you can build around him and get rid of your high-paced wide, high-priced wide receiver, and get him some maybe some younger receivers to come in here and grow with 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 Dak, who maybe are better route runners and don't need those 50-50 balls to be a valuable player to the team. Now, Dak, for Dez, I think Dez still has some value for a lot of teams. It would be a dream to see him play with Aaron Rodgers with the Packers because. Nobody throws those back shoulder fades yeah. better than Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> and, and and then he can hit them on those slant routes too. But yeah, I don't think it'll happen. And that's the problem. They waited so long to cut him. If there's anything in this situation that was fucked up, was that they waited so long to cut him that all the jobs are kind of swallowed up now. Yeah. And so more than likely, he's going to have having to play for a team out of necessity rather than being able to pick and choose where he wants to go. And so he might end up playing with another quarterback who's not really good with those back shoulder face. And so, you know, then the whole Dez is done, Dez is washed uh, uh, kind of sentiment that's out there will be proven true. But if he gets with a quarterback that can get him those 50-50 balls and give him a chance, I still think he has a lot of big playability in him and he'll be able to go out there and shine. He doesn't have to run – 50 million fucking rounds. He's yeah. not a slot receiver. He doesn't need to run a whole lot of shallow crosses and bullshit like that. If he only runs three routes, a fucking post, a, a quick slant, and a goal route, it'll be good enough if you got a quarterback who can get the ball to him. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's going to come down to where he ends up being able to go after being cut this late in the process. 
Yeah, and I guess too, and, and not even just, you know, for Dez's sake, it sucks to get cut that late in the game, but also just like, I mean, well, now the Cowboys, like, they need, they don't have receivers. I mean, Cole Beasley, I mean, that's, you know, fine for a slot guy or, you know, kind of a number two, number three role player type, but they don't have a lot of receivers to speak of. And now they have to sort of like, and maybe they've scouted receivers all along for the draft anyway, and that's not an issue as far as it comes to the draft. But, you know, that took them out of, you know, had they made this decision in March when most of these decisions were being made by other teams, you know, then they if, they, if there's a free agent that they like that fits, you know, whether it's the top guy or, you know, more of those middle-of-the-road kind of free agents that they can go after. But it just seems like it, it seems weird for both parties to, to wait till the middle of April to do this. Well, now, uh, the Cowboys, they did sign uh, the receiver from J- uh, Jacksonville. Um, Ro- oh, okay. Robinson? Or no, 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 not, not her, uh, Alan Hearns. Yeah, Alan Hearns. They signed him, and at the time when they signed him, they said that he wasn't there to replace this. But it turns out he was there to replace this. <laughs> yeah. Now I really like Alan Hearns. He's a little bit different wide receiver from Dez, but he has good size on him. Um, I think he was hurt this last season a little bit. Yeah. Pretty serious <clears throat> injury too, if I recall. I can't. Recall off the top of my head what it was, but it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't the kind of injury you take lightly. Right, I, I can't remember either. Uh, but hey, listen, he's had what like four years of trying to catch balls from Blake Bortles. <laughs> so yeah. if he can be productive in Jacksonville, I'm pretty sure Alan Hearns will be okay. Yeah, in Dallas. Uh, but you know, at the same time, they're gonna have to just. Several things. Look, you're going to have to get somebody in there for Jason Witten at some point. Uh, he's a Tennessee guy. I love him. But there's no denying that he's slowing down. So you you need a guy that can be a, a threat up the scene. Yeah. You're also going to have to make the offense even more Dak friendly now. Uh, you know, and, and that's fine. You know, I think he's a guy who uh, is going to excel better uh, when he's in a kind of a timing offense where he, he knows where to go with the football right away, doesn't have to wait for guys to get open, just throw it to, you know, you see this coverage, you throw it to that guy, what have you. Uh, shorter routes, you know what I mean? Give, mm-hmm. give him yeah. a chance to, to get some some nice, easy throws in there. Um, but it, it, maybe Alan Hearns is a better fit with Dak than – uh, Dez was, but I still think they need to make the offense a little bit more Dak friendly, just so uh, you know you, you're kind of getting him in a groove. You know, last year he had a little bit of a sophomore slump, just because it would take him so long to kind of get in a groove. Once he got going, he was all right, but it would seem like it would take him a quarter or so to really find his rhythm throwing the football. And they need faster starts out of him. So that they, you know, they can be rolling by the time the second half comes around. So mm-hmm. I think there's going to be some tweaking going on all the way around in Dallas this season. And it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. This is that third season for Dak. So this is the year, in theory, when he's supposed to kind of take off. Yeah. Of course, last year was the third year for Jameis Winston, and he was supposed to take off. Eh, not so much. So, 
you know, it is what it is. We'll see if he actually blossoms this year without Dez. Um, and, and, you know, whether life is actually easier without Dez and that offense. Like I said, I didn't think they were a good fit anyway. Yeah. But I, I would have liked to have seen Dez have a real, real wide receiver coach, coach him and see if maybe that could have worked out some of his issues. I understand. I think Dez was working with a personal route running guy this offseason. So we'll see if that paid off for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big year. And, I mean, I suspect that, you know, I, I don't – I know teams it, – it is screwy because, of you know, a lot of teams' caps are allocated and whatnot. But it's uh, – a I mean, I can't imagine somebody won't sign Dez. I mean, he's only – you know, he's not even 30 years old yet. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to sign him. It's just a matter of, you know. Is it going to be a good team? A good is it going to be a team? It? Right. You know, where does he really want to go yeah. to play, basically, at this point? So, you know, we'll see. Do, maybe the Chicago Bears. <laughs> does he want to go to Chicago? <laughs> I don't know. But you know what? It's a lot worse places to play. And yeah. you got a young quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky. I think Mitchell Trubisky can kind of hit some of those 50-50 throws. So mm-hmm. who knows? I think that might be a fit there too, but we'll see. And then he'll be playing outside as opposed to in, you know inside in a dome as much as he played in Dallas too. So yeah. all those things. Just I think at the end of the day, whoever ends up signing Dez is somebody that we probably, the longer it goes on with him not being signed, I think the likelihood becomes more that he signs with a team that's not necessarily a real good fit for him, but just, you know, somebody that needs a wide receiver and they're willing to pay him. Yeah. Right now, the odds, this is odds makers. So, you know, take that for what it's worth, but the Ravens have the number one odds. So he might have to go make Joe Flacco elite again. Right. Yeah. I don't know about that. We'll see about that. (laughs) I mean, Joe Flacco has a big arm. I just don't know about those. Like I said, those fifty-fifty balls. Right. So we'll see. Yeah, we will. Uh, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. And this time, shit. This time next week, we're going to be a couple hours away from the kickoff of the twenty eighteen draft. So got a little bit of a wave coming on here, uh, and we'll have plenty to talk about down the road. And that's why I can't wait. Let let. I can't wait till the week after next when we can talk about how these guys fit yes. in with the different teams where they've been drafted. So I'm just going to put my fingers in my ears and yell, no, 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 for the next week or so <laughs> yeah, until we right. actually see where guys get drafted because it's about to get real bad. Yeah, that's right. Tune out, you know, mute those draft grades on your timelines. Like I said, like you said, go see the Avengers. Don't bother with that Saturday shit of the draft. And we'll be back the week after that. We, we will hash it all out. 